0: This episode of the Bet on Yourself podcast is like no other. Jill Haselbaker is the Senior Vice President of Marketing and Public Affairs at Uber, leading the teams and global efforts across marketing, communications, and public policy. You know, a small, uneventful job. Jill and I discuss so many key things to surviving in a career as ambitious as hers. She talks about how you have to take the initiative and put yourself inside the rooms in which you want to work. This might mean moving anywhere for the job, working for people who want to challenge you, and being willing to have uncomfortable debates.
1: You know, I didn't have a three-year plan or five-year plan, but I knew that I wanted to work for people who were going to challenge me, who were willing to have the debate, who were incredibly smart, um, ambitious, and doing big things. And so when I saw those types of opportunities, I, um, you know, I wanted to put myself in the middle of them.
0: Jill also found that this often means staying the course when things get tough, because you recognize the irreplaceable opportunities there. Before joining Uber, Jill led communications and public policy at Snap, and before Snap, she worked with Google, where she led the PR across Europe, Middle East, and Africa, as well as government relations in Europe. And earlier in her career at Google, she ran the corporate communications team. Jill began her career in politics, having held leadership roles on many state, local and federal election campaigns. In 2009, Jill served as press secretary to New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg during his successful re-election campaign. In 2008, Jill was the national communications director and chief spokesperson for United States Senator John McCain's presidential campaign. I nodded like a bobblehead when Jill explained that a key part of her career trajectory came from realizing that to be competitive, you have to create your own space at the table by grabbing a chair and not waiting to be given one. This is often the only way women's voices, offering new perspectives, are heard in the rooms where decisions are being made. This was especially true for her at Snap and Uber, where the bro culture was heavily present when she started in the early years of those companies' evolutions. And right at the end of our conversation, she also gives great advice on how us normal people can make a difference in the area of misinformation to create a sense of togetherness. And my favorite moment was when Jill explained that her inspiration for working the way she does is so that her children see her making a difference in the world. I cannot wait to hear your takeaways from this one. Please remember to share, rate, and subscribe via your favorite podcast app, perhaps right now. Please enjoy. Joe Hazlebaker, thank you so much for being on the Bet on Yourself podcast.
1: Delighted to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: I've been really, really, really looking forward to chatting with you. You're somebody I've admired for a long time. I'm so grateful that our careers overlapped for a time. I think um, the reason I thought of you um, being on Better on Yourself podcast is one, you're one of the coolest people I know, and two. Aww, that's so kind. It's common opinion, true, um, but I think. It's also really interesting cause you've had some very interesting pivots in your career, worked for some very influential people. And um, I think it would be fascinating to kind of retrace your steps and inspire some of our listeners who are also considering some pivots in their life or making a big bet on themselves or taking a risk. I think your story would inspire a lot of them to Let's do it. Adventure, yeah. So I wonder if we go back to the beginning. I'm actually, I, I know you started your career in politics and I think that's also what
1: you studied. So I was always interested in politics. In my family, we like to debate. Um, we talked about current. We talked about elections. And so when I was in college, I really started taking an interest in campaign politics in particular. I'm the type of person who likes um, fast-paced things and campaign politics, uh, certainly the dynamic inside of those organizations. And so. When I was in college, I started um, the same way everybody else uh, did so tone to politics, volunteering first and paid on uh, for candidates that I thought were interesting. And from there, way yeah, up um, onto congressional campaigns and senatorial campaigns, and ultimately um, a, a presidential campaign. Um, at one point in time, I also interned in Washington on Capitol Hill. So I definitely got the bug and continued to, to pursue it.
0: And what brought you originally to John McCain's campaign? Because I think that was your first big campaign move, wasn't it?
1: It was. So I had been working um, on a Senate campaign in New Jersey for a guy called Tom Kane Jr. And his father had been the governor of New Jersey and was also one of the authors of the 9-11 Commission report. Um, and McCain knew McCain's father. And so he came to New Jersey to campaign for us. Um, and, and I'd obviously known John McCain and followed his, his 2000 campaign for president. And um, you know, I thought he was, a. I still do think he's a national treasurer. Um, and he was exactly the type of person that I wanted to work for. He is the embodiment of integrity being at the core of success. Um, and so uh, a number of my friends that I had met through politics were moving in the King campaign. So I just, I put my hand up and said, you know, I'm part of it and, and I'll live anywhere in the country um, uh, where you send me. And, and ultimately they sent me to a very snowy and very cold New Hampshire area of, of 2007.
0: I, um, that really resonates with me because in the beginning of my career because I made my first steps By just raising my hand anywhere I saw the opportunity to be next to the type of leader I wanted to become. And John McCain, I never met, is someone I so strongly admire for exactly what you said, the embodiment of exactly what those values are and the kind of leader I would ever hope to be. And so, yes, just raising a hand and being like, I don't care what my title is or what my job is. I want to be part of this and I want to learn from you. So they said...
1: I think that's right. I mean, just putting yourself in the room and and putting yourself in a place where you can get uh, tapped for that kind of opportunity. And and like I said, I mean, I literally said I'll go anywhere in the country. And you know, in my political career, um, I moved. I think four times in in ten years. Um, you know, I didn't have a three-year plan or five-year plan, but I knew that I wanted to. Work for people who were going to challenge me, who were willing to have the debate, who were incredibly smart, um, ambitious, and doing big things. And so when I saw those types of opportunities, I, um, you know, I wanted to put myself in the middle of them.
0: This is why you're my kind of girl.
1: I think this. And yeah. <laughs> this second we met, I was like, you're my people. I want because
0: <laughs> that's the, that's basically my love language. I want to be with smart, curious. Challenging people who are going to keep me on my toes and they give me opportunities to learn as much and as fast as I possibly can. So was there anything that surprised you as you you jumped into this campaign, they sent you all over You were moving, you were young, you were just volunteering for things. Anything that surprised you any like parts you loved more than you expected or maybe some parts that you didn't love so much.
1: Well, you have to think about it. I was 28 years old, um, and I was I was a woman. I think I was one of the youngest female um, communications directors for a presidential campaign ever. Um, and Ains campaign, uh, had a, was tumultuous. So in in 2008, here 2007, really, he started as the front runner. He took what I think was a, a heroic vote on immigration. Only what what that meant to the campaign is that a lot of his funding dried up. Um, other candidates shot ahead of us in the polls. And we sort of went from the front runner to the back of the pack. Um, McCain, true to who he is, said, "You know, I'm not getting out of this race. I, I got in this race to be president of the United States, and that's what I intend to do until the final vote is counted. And a lot of my friends at that point left the campaign um, and sort of thought that this was the kind of thing that um, not going to happen. And so they wanted to go on and pursue other things. Um, for me, I doubled down um, and I stayed uh, with the senator for that for the summer of 2007, um, crisscrossing New Hampshire. Um, we would stake our our commitment to to the campaign and and try to get our message out. And in that period, I'd been promoted to to run his national. Campaign. And so for me, you know, every part of it was intimidating. Every part of it was new. Every part of it was Something that I had never done before, um, and I think I was fortunate because for simply so much work to be done, but I a lot of time to dwell on the fear, um, you know. But I think everyone, in, when they're doing something new and doing something big, has a bit of that imposter syndrome. Am I really here? Is this for me? Um, and you know, I've just always been the kind of person who, when that creeps up. Uh, Days deep, deep and and plows through and, and I've been fortunate to have four great mentors and a, and a great family um, that I that I called on in, in those moments. I
0: think this is a common theme across your career. I definitely saw that when we crossed paths at Google and I, I think this is a common theme for your strategy for the work you're currently in, which we'll we'll get to soon. But I think there's some there is some yes, yes. Digging in about staying the course when things get really hard when other people are bailing and looking for the next shiny opportunity When something's really resonating with you that feels important And I, I say this all the time on the podcast when you recognize an irreplicable opportunity Like this isn't going to come around again. You That's say, exactly. Yes. Stay to learn as much as you can.
1: So I, I remember calling my dad um, in, in the summer of 2007, and when everyone was sort of jumping, jumping off the campaign and saying to him, you know, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I have a strong desire to stay here. And I, um, you know, I don't know what's going to come up the campaign, but I, I want to be here with, with the Senator. I think he's a, uh, the kind of person that I want to, to support and help. And it's an honor to work for him. Um, and room, I remember my dad saying, are you crazy? I was, I think, 27 years old. He said, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. You better hang on. Um, so I, I, I certainly uh, identify with what, you, with what you said.
0: You come from good people. I, I, I agree. I think <laughs> the quality of people is the single biggest determinant of my satisfaction in my career. I think that's why I made several of my jumps that seemed maybe disjointed at the time and didn't make sense to my peers around me but I just had to follow where the quality people were who were doing cool things because I knew that was going to be my yes. life effort. I I've never been somebody to just punch a clock. I love work and I wanted to give back to me in that that same way. So you were with McCain's campaign till the end and then you ended up yes. switching over to the Bloomberg campaign, re-election campaign yes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: How did that transition come? Yeah, from? That
0: was to stay in politics? Were you looking for those opportunities?
1: So it was really interesting, obviously, um, you know, the electoral campaign uh, is, is a tough outcome, right? Um, you know, you put so much of in, uh, yourself into it. Um, yeah, I've, I've kind of been a person who thinks that, you know, success is all and, uh, you know, failure is never fatal. Um, There's always a, 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 next, a next act. So I took some time off, off after the campaign. I actually went to Tahiti for the first time and um, kicked back um, and dusted myself off. And I wanted to do next. Um, at that point, my mind was still very much in politics. I got a call from a, a guy called Howard Wilson. And Howard had been Hillary Clinton's communications director and deputy campaign manager. And I thought, gosh, why is Howard Wilson calling? me? I, I passed him in green rooms um, at TV networks during the presidential campaign, but we didn't know one another well. But he said to me, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to run, uh, help run Mike Bloomberg's campaign, third term re-election in New York City, and we would love to for you to be a part of it. And now, what an extraordinary opportunity. You know, the campaign was largely managed by uh, by top brass Democratic Democratic political consultants in the U.S. And in my lifetime, I never thought I'd have an opportunity to work with many of them. But Mike Bloomberg, again, going back to integrity at the core of everything successful, he was the kind of leader that I wanted to uh, I wanted to, to to know and to support. And so I said, of course, what, you know, when can I come to New York? I, I was doing some things at that point in time, some TV things after the camp. Said, I'm going to be in New York um, doing a show, I think, you know, in a few weeks, and, and let's get together and chat. And the, the rest was history. And it was a really interesting experience for me. Um, Bloomberg was a phenomenal mayor for, for New York City, a phenomenal, ran it like an executive. Um, I learned an extraordinary amount watching how he operated, but the opportunity to work with people on the other side of the aisle and really um, understand different people's perspectives and then apply that to, to my own thinking um, and to how I uh, approach work and life in general. It's just, a, it was a, an incredibly experience. And uh, you know, to this day, uh, many of those, the people that I work with on that campaign are good friends.
0: I think that's something that the world could use an extra dose of at the moment of seeing <laughs> those barriers, Dumping, you know, just getting outside of your circle, not just talking with people who think exactly the way you do or approach a problem the same way or have the same even background or values or, or uh, opinions on problem solving. If we can get more cross-pollination of ideas, more collaborative thought, this country could become its great self again, I think. Um, and I think we need even- I
1: agree. I'm, v- I'm very optimistic for um, for 2021 and for what's to come in, in Washington. This year, instead
0: of giving holiday cards, I printed up uh, Happy New Year cards. I <laughs> felt like that was the- best. <laughs> I love it, I love it. For me, that sums up all the holiday spirit I need, is like, thank you very much for the hope of 2021. So you had, you had this really unique experience on both sides of the political spectrum. You saw very intense campaigns. You were often the youngest, by far, person in the room and really had to presence in your opinion and yourself. Did you just naturally come by that kind of confidence? Or is that something you learned on the job, how to represent yourself with the right authority level, sitting in some very powerful rooms?
1: Well, you know, for me, the most important thing in life really is family, and I was—I um, I lost my father in October, um, and he was an incredibly important figure for me. Um, I, I have had great parents, but my dad, in particular, you know, long before—I always say—long before being a, a girl dad was a thing, I had a dad. I had a dad who who believed in me and who encouraged me to take risks and who really taught me that. Failure is a is a normal part of life, Um, and so you know having that kind of that at the core and the center of me, I think, has given the ability to find my own confidence and to find my own voice. That's not to say that things haven't been intimidating. I remember uh, at one point in the two thousand eight campaign. Um, uh, McCain sent me to a dinner of uh, kind of these Republicans and, and, uh, and mega donors, and the vice president was there. And, uh, you know, it was maybe 15, 20 people, I think all men. Um, and I was definitely the youngest by a long shot, probably 20 or 30 years. And I remember thinking in that room, uh, I can be scared or I can be excited. And so i'm going to lean into to being to being excited and to kind of soaking things up um, and so i've always tried to do that i've tried to be a sponge and to soak things
0: i love that i had so many moments in my career working with very very powerful ceos where i had to take a breath and a pause and be, and tell myself the same thing yeah. you can be scared or you can just be brave and some people ask me how did you get a seat at that table and i was like no, it's not like there was an empty chair. I dragged it from the other side of the room in, <laughs> sat down. And that does take a moment of like, all right, I this is going to make a little bit of a scene, but I'm going to sit down at this table. I think it's those moments that people yeah. think it's like this big, like, ta-da, someone gives you a crown of like, you sit at this table now. That never happened. Like you yeah. just have to kind of-
1: No one invites you in. You you have to kind of, you have to path and, and create your own your own space. and. Um, for me, I'm also a, a big um, preparation person. I like to be in the details, to to know what um, the conversation is going to be about, and have thought about how I can contribute in advance. Um, my team laughs at at my, they say I over prep, um, but I don't. I don't believe there's such a thing. Um, and that also gives me that's also I find you know very calming for me, and um, and gives me a lot of confidence.
0: I do that to the extreme. I just recently retook the Myers <laughs> with, cause some of my clients were doing that with work. And I was like, oh yeah, this is me. This is like immense. <laughs> yeah,
1: I have to say all, all those stuff back on the nose for me too, very identifiable. I,
0: I love a very thorough briefing document. I love to know exactly what to expect. I remember before. <laughs> I remember
1: that about you.
0: I yeah, it's it's um, it's no secret of anyone who's been in the same room with me. But uh, yeah, even before I went to my very first spin class, I was like googling like what to expect, what do you wear, what is the lingo, what is it? You know, I just know, It's just even in my hobbies, in my past. I'm years. the girl who
1: always looks at the menu before I go to the restaurant. I know what I'm going to order at two o'clock in the afternoon.
0: Yes, thank you again. Why you're my kind of girl? <laughs> so, uh, over the course of working in some very powerful rooms almost always the youngest, often the only female, which I relate to across my career, you then made this transition into tech. And I actually don't know this part of your story. How did that happen? How did they find you? Did you find us? Because I just remember you very powerfully walking into my office one day with this great, just like, I'm so glad she's here. I don't know who she is, but she's here to do something. Um, So how did you come to put your foot into the CEO's office at Google?
1: So I had um, just wrapped up the Bloomberg campaign. Uh, He he won a third term, thought that I might stay in the Bloomberg orbit. people who did the kind of work I did. There was a lot that you could do within the Bloomberg world. There was the philanthropic side, uh, the business side, the political side. Um, And so I thought that I would, would, um, I hoped that I would be fortunate to stay with them. but then I got a call from a woman called Rachel Whetstone, who is uh, uh, mentors and has been uh, a, a great North Star for, for my career. Um, and she, at the time, was running global communications and policy at Google. I had actually taken John McCain to Google. In 2008, Google did a series. Um, where the presidential candidates, I think Obama and, um, and McCain both came to campus and I thought, wow, this place is extraordinary. Um, and we got to see a bit of the company meeting because um, McCain had spoken at it. And just the back and forth from uh, amongst the employees was really inspiring to me. And it just seemed vibrant and young and exciting and interesting. And um, you know, going back to something that's always guided me, working around really smart people, the smartest people who are willing to have debate. Um, and I, it was always in my mind, wow, that was an amazing, that was really an, an amazing place. So when she called, I sort of jumped at the chance to, to talk to her. Um, uh, she was at, at, in, going to be in Washington, I was in New York. And so I went down to, uh, to meet her. Um, and it, it's a, a funny story. She was I, we met at the Four Seasons in Georgetown, and you know, I was a political person at that point in time, and I dress like one, and I walked into the lobby of the Four Seasons, and there was this woman with a British accent and voice on and a, a Google t-shirt and red Converse sneakers, and, um, and I'm sort of looking for the woman who runs a uh, global policy and communications for Google, expecting a very different cutout. And then she whips around and says, I'm Rachel Whetstone. Anyway, I was, it was sort of love at first sight. And um, from there, I, uh, I, I ended up going out to, to Silicon Valley to run global communications, which is when I, I met you.
0: It makes perfect sense. Rachel is a force of nature who I greatly sure admire. Sure is. <laughs> <laughs> up in her, her whirlwind and off you go doing crazy things. I love it. Yes,
1: exactly. She sort of swept me up and, um, and showed me the
0: ropes. That's amazing. So it makes me think we actually probably met in 2008 because I was involved in doing that um, series. I think we did.
1: Okay. I think we did. Um, In fact, I think that was our first interaction is when I was, um, uh, when I brought um, the center to, to Mountain View. And what did you think? Once you, you had
0: experienced the environment, you're now Wrapped up in the Rachel Whetstone hurricane, you've you've taken on this big job. What was the transition like for you, um, coming from the world of politics and suits and button up and uh, translating that into the yes. unique culture, which is tech and Silicon Valley?
1: It was exciting. Um, you know, I remember walking on that campus and in late 2009, 2010, thinking this is. Um, again, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and I was just absolutely there. My first day at Google was actually the day that the company announced that it was pulling out of China. Um, and Sergey, and we need you here now to start working on the press release. Um, and I said, well, I'm in at orientation, and I'm on the bus. I'm not sure if I, if I should get off. And um, we ended up chatting, and it became quite clear to me very quickly that I needed to get off. Of course, I had no idea how to find them because I, I I just set foot on this sprawling campus, so I had no idea where they were. Yeah. Um, and pretty soon, there came Rachel and David on these little Google bikes to find me uh, to get me off the bus and then um, and then take me where they were working out the language for um, for how to, to exit China. So it was it was um, a baptism by fire, which is my my favorite kind of entry, and uh, gave me an opportunity to work on something big and medium and kind of get to know all the players um, straight, out of, straight out of the gate. Uh, quite a first day, I have to yes. say. <laughs> it was, it was one, for, one for the books, I think.
0: That's the only way to go. I can't yeah. can imagine a better, like, Jill is here moment, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> we needed you, and we needed you now, not a moment later. <laughs> right, 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 right. We, we made that very hard decision to pull out of China. That wasn't just a one and done. There was a lot of ripple effects from that. Yes. decisions that then followed were there some particularly otherwise very memorable like big decisions or communication strategies especially as google at the time was becoming a very complex uh organism that i think even surprised us the way in which politics were so intertwined and layered on top of communication strategies and launching in different countries what was that like for you? Because I remember at the time it was all everything kind of felt very layered on top of each other. Was it easy for you yes. to because of your experience in politics, or did it take on kind of a, a different nature of how to negotiate those different departments and keep it cohesive?
1: You know, it's a good question. There, there were some of it that were that were I think um, very relatable for me. The the pace, the intensity, the speed at which um, at which Google was developing at that point in time. Um I remember Jonathan Rosenberg saying that you that he was the first person, by the way, in politics, you don't really hire people in the same way you do inside of a company. You know, you just have a lot of like-minded people coming together in support of the cause. Um at Google, it was the first time I'd managed, really had to kind of performance manage a large team. And um I remember Jonathan saying to me, teaching me a lot about how what a privilege it is to hire and um and how to review every packet and one of the things he said that really stuck with me is that you know we're on a hundred year mission here and so we don't want people who are good at one thing we want people who are good at a lot of things and so and that really resonated because i didn't know honestly literally barely knew the difference between a browser and an operating system when i joined the technology i didn't know a lot about crisis communications and how to um how to develop a narrative i understood how to write and how important that was in terms of clarity and thinking and and logic and understanding your arguments. Um, And so there were parts of it that were really foreign to me. And then there were parts where I felt like I could have an immediate contribution and impact. Um, And I was just really excited about about the learning. And there were so many people who were so generous with their time, obviously, including your boss, Eric Schmidt, who who I worked with really closely, who taught me so much about about business in general, um, about being in the details. Um, that the details, that it was sort of a fantasy to think that you could have this great, one great idea and that the rest all fell into place. Um, you actually really needed to be in the details and to drive the details. Um, he, he obviously taught me a lot about being willing to have the debate and have the argument. Um, and then, uh, and also that when a decision's made to drive it forward. But you know, there were just so many, so many brilliant people in this orbit at that time who were so generous with their time with me. Um, in terms of, of teaching me about the business and teaching me about technology and teaching me about about how the valley worked.
0: Yeah, I I really your story about how you came to be at Google and came to be so impactful reminds me a little bit of Sheryl Sandberg's um, recruiting experience where Eric was the final one trying to convince her and she was kept asking the question but like yeah. what am I going to do because in tech uh, uh, is. <laughs> People who haven't been there, they're like, we don't hire for a specific job. It's exactly what you just described. We hire just really smart people. Right. What to do with them? Smart people, they can learn. Yeah. They, yeah. We just need the right brains in the door. And I remember the way Eric uh, sold Cheryl was to say, when you're offered a seat on a rocket ship, you don't ask which one. You just get on. Right.
1: <laughs> famous, famous, famous Ericism.
0: Famous Eric. Um, so you were on this rocket ship, and you had a quite a ride. I remember it was just. All kinds of things were happening. We had a lot of intersections with politics and educating lawmakers on these emerging technologies that weren't yet household names. Um, It wasn't yet being discussed. Mm -hmm. Also really helping legislators, educating them so they can make the best decisions on behalf of their constituents. We had a lot of international expansions going on. We had big comms pushes where we really wanted to build up user trust, which has been essential as as the companies evolved. For you, is there a memorable like, challenge that you had in those years um, while all of those things were happening simultaneously that kind of shaped a little bit of, of your, the way you interacted in your career? Because now you've stayed in tech for a very long time after that.
1: Well, um, you know, I always say that Google was the greatest um, training ground possible for me at that stage because there, as you said, there were so many different things that were happening inside of the company. Um, Washington was beginning to wake up to some of the power that these very large technology companies um, had and have. Uh, we were acquiring and integrating um, lots of companies. The company was scaling in, um, you know, in, in tons of different geographies and um, different cultures and, and uh, around the world. And so there was, just, there was just so much happening. It was just this explosion of things. Um, an explosion of growth happening inside of inside of the company. So I was exposed to so many different things. Um, you know, I remember I remember going with Eric, um, working with Eric, draft his testimony in the first um, antitrust review in Washington, where he was witness. Um, and you know, we got to the the hearing room. We were uh, about to turn right. I said to him before, "There's going to be." Um, quite a few cameras in because of course I've been spent my career around Washington and knew that this was a big hearing that was going to draw a lot of people out <laughs> and I think I underestimated just how many people would be interested in the CEO of Google coming around. We turned the corner and there were there were literally a hundred cameras, um, you know, blocking our entrance into the hearing room. And at that point, I realized just how um, you know what the path forward is going to be for for technology companies in Washington going forward. That was kind of a, a turning point um, and, and in terms of the working relationship between Washington and, and Silicon Valley. Um, you know, there were so many interesting things, the right to be forgotten um, in, in when I was, I eventually moved from leading corporate communications in Mountain View to running policy and communications across AMIA and was based in London, calling at two o'clock in the morning to wake up um, Eric and Rachel to say that we had, we had unexpectedly lost this case, court case and, and here was the strategy for, for how I thought we, we ought to handle it, which involved, rather than lambasting the decision, actually saying that we wanted to educate people on, um, on, on why surf is important. And, um, and so ultimately what we did is we put together, um, you know, we put together a working group um, to really study the issue and to present findings over, over a long period of time. And so there are just there are just so many interesting moments along the way where I was able to sink my teeth into into issues and um, and and really learn from them. And I've applied uh, those learnings I think at every stage since.
0: see the legacy of your work continuing, even though both of us have since left Google, when I'm reading about how Sundar is approaching a lot of these very similar issues at the moment, I reflect back to those early days of like, how are we going to relate to this? Are we going to be, consider ourselves friends? Are we going to be data-driven decision makers on this? Or are we going to have a knee-jerk reaction? And I think you really set the tone for those relationships and we're
1: um, Uh, moving forward now. Well, that is very kind of you to say. It was, as always, a, a huge team effort. I think um, you know, we had to step back and say, how how do we, you know, this is how we react to these things. It's fine, probably the next decade, if not longer. And you know, the thing that always struck me about Google's culture was uh, willingness to answer questions and openness and transparency. Um, and and in fact, <laughs> the first the first TDIF I went to, I was shocked at the amount of information was openly shared amongst. Thousands of employees each week, and that is a hallmark of the culture. And so, you know, your culture isn't just an internal thing; it should be an external thing as well. So, if we were going to be so open and transparent and willing to answer questions of our own employees, then like we needed to be that way with um, other constituencies that you know had a right to 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 ask us ask us what our strategy was and and why we felt like the things we were doing were in the in the interest of the of the consumer. And so. Um, you know, we really went into, into a lot of those issues, big, thorny issues um, uh, with that kind of openness and that willingness to, to, to listen. Yeah.
0: So I imagine that that has informed some of the decisions you've made in the second half of your career, where you really leaned in and welcomed and kind of threw yourself into some environments that were very challenging and uh, kind of walked straight into the heart of some scrutiny and and some hard situations. So you eventually left Google um, and spent a year at Snapchat, now Snap, um, Mm -hmm. and then Snap. Yes, Snap, <laughs> and you then moved on to Uber. Both of those were at particularly um, pivotal parts, critical parts of their journey, and especially as they were trying to make some pivots uh, in being very proactive in their relationships with their users in making some pivots around that. So maybe you can walk us through first, how did you make those decisions and where did you, how did you make your decisions of where you're going to dig in and instead of making some transitions, you really leaned into some tricky moments. I think that's so fascinating. Yeah.
1: You know, again, I, I um I really was so fortunate to have so many on Google's management at the time team at the time um, you know, give me advice and and help me and guide me and encourage me to think about my own growth and my own development, whether that was going to be inside of Google or out. And so um, and that was I think at, at that point a really special uh, uh, management team and collection of of individuals. And um, you know, a number of them said to me that uh, in order to really understand the technology business, I needed to see one that was built from the ground up. And so it's going to be important for me to go and, and find a startup of my own. Um, I had met Evan Spiegel at, um, at a Google event, actually, in, in Italy um, and got to know him a bit. He's a phenomenal entrepreneur uh, and, and um, product thinker. Um, I think uh, I went to, I ended up going to snap. I think I was probably there one tick too early. It was just a little too um, uh, kind of small at that stage for, for what I wanted to do. And I and felt quite frankly that while I was doing some good work, I wasn't really influencing the company in the way that, that I wanted to. And, and um, it just so happened that at the same time, Rachel Weston, my boss at Google, had gone to Uber working for another really interesting um, founder, Travis Kalanick. And uh you know, said said, Hey, you know, would you be interested in coming to coming back to work with me? And I thought, well, you know, how why would both of us need to be there? <laughs> and then I kind of looked under the hood at all the issues that were that Uber was facing. Um, and I thought, wow, that's really that really speaks to me and resonates with me in terms of what I wanted for my own career. It sat at this intersection of politics and policy and cities and um, you know, things that I was really, really passionate about and thought that I could help. So in um, in 2015, I um, said said goodbye to Snap and packed up my bags and made yet another move back to back to San Francisco. So I had come full circle.
0: And Uber at that point was really facing some scrutiny there. And I think right yes. after you joined was when that video came out of um, Travis arguing with a, a driver with another passenger in the car. And um, so you again were walking straight into a hey, we just pulled out of China moment. Um, right at the beginning of your time there at Uber. I think your approach to that was really interesting the way you you leaned in and again, went back to listening mode and really making people feel heard. Um, at least that's how it seemed from the outside. Was that what really um, informed the way that you wanted to handle that that potential crisis? So
1: obviously Uber went through uh, a, a myriad of crises um, in, in the early years. Um, you know, it was a it was a, a defining, pushing the envelope and pushing the boundaries um, in many ways that I think were incredibly important and progressive for for society and for cities. This idea that you can push a button and get a ride was really a wonder. Um, and so sometimes it's easy to lose sight of all the great things that came from yeah. Uber's technology and from its founding team. Given all the other things that that happened as well. Um, you know, for me, there were lots of difficult moments in that. Um, but the, the bottom line is that I'm really proud of how we came out the other side. And I think the key reason that we that we came out the other side of it and um, and have have recovered the brand and the trust of our users is, is because we focused on substance, not on spin. Um, you know, people can smell. A uh, story from um a narrative um from a million miles away. you have to have it underpinned by substance by real change and so i think our commitment to to examining that we're most acutely affecting our business whether it's on um, safety or the future of work and the gig economy and 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 open ourselves up to this honest debate um and to put our own Views out there, warts and all, um, has been you know a core part of of our of our turnaround. Um, and for me, it's just been it's been an incredible privilege to be a part of, even though um, you know some of those days were were pretty rough.
0: I can only imagine. <laughs> I know what the war rooms must feel like. I've, I've experienced war rooms on the Google side. I can only imagine when it be becomes very, very personal, like the issues you just mentioned around safety. And I know you are a very active voice yes. and wanted to address the safety issues, especially from the um, position of a woman. Yes. I think our experience, men don't realize that when we walk down a street, I'm always aware, I'm always on alert. They yes. don't have that experience. So getting in a car with someone I don't know is also an already, already alarming state. How were you? How do you think you were uniquely influential in those rooms of, of making raising some of these issues like safety, connecting with your users, creating open dialogues, tracking, helping people feel like they were part of the solution um, in an
1: emergent technology where people are just
0: learning how to interact with
1: it? Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, I think again, it's um, you know, it's it's imperfect, right? Um, you know, if you're not making mistakes, then you're probably not really doing anything. I'm I'm absolutely convinced that doers make, and so. Um, you know, the, the, sometimes the the technology lags the actuality of where of where the business is, and so we had to really um, you know look in internally and say um, you know are we doing enough? You know, what more can we do? And I think that um, in those rooms, I just tried to be an advocate for what I think we would expect um, of our own, you know, family members, your sister, your brother, your mother, um, in a car. How do we ensure that we are the safest ride-sharing platform on earth? And how do we ensure that our culture stands for settling for nothing but that? Um, and that that becomes really ingrained in our DNA. And so, you know, for me, um, having I worked around engineers and product people now for, for quite a long time, um, In order to get people interested in a topic, I think there has to be some glory in that, right? There has to be um, a calling. It has to be mission-driven. It has to feel like that this is something that's going to be big and important and defining for, for the company. And so, you know, when we made the decision to release the, the first ever transparency report that detailed what was happening inside of, on our platform, what was happening inside of cars, even things like sexual assaults, most people would say, um, hang on a minute, you know, for, for your most senior PR person to be championing that is absolutely, I looked at it in a totally different way. I essentially said, if we're really gonna make progress on this issue, then we have to shine a light on it, um, on it, the good, bad, and the ugly. And because uh, that is how we're gonna be able to ultimately hold ourselves accountable um, for changing it. And I'm just so proud of the company and so proud of um, of the culture that we have created and this this commitment to safety and i think it's um it's really defining uh act of of uber and it will never stop it will be a crusade of ours uh, forever and it's just it's an extraordinary honor to work beside so many colleagues who are really building technology of the future to ensure that um, you know that we're providing the safest possible experience
0: I think that a lot of companies could really learn from that lesson of being very data forward and coming through with authenticity of, we are not going to hide something. I'm giving you something right now. You didn't even know I'm writing a headline for you that I know will be distracting at the moment for the long-term good, for people feeling like they, they yes. know what they're getting into, the decisions they're making are educated of if I'm going to use this platform or not. And I yes so many people could learn from your wisdom and that where instead of trying to cover it up or change the dialogue as you said it always feels inauthentic and people see that a mile away but the kind of longevity and the impact and the um the grit that that comes through with uber globally really stems from that um please i really hope that uber comes to my town i miss it so
1: much i can't talk <laughs> well we're working same we have some regulatory challenges but we've got We've got a couple of uh, ideas for 2021, so um, I'll do the best I can.
0: Is not an early adopter, but uh, I hope it returns. (laughs) Uh, So in this environment, you've had some transitions, even within the same company. You've had a transition CEO, Travis going out, and now we've got Dara coming in. What was that like, and how did you kind of help with this transition and and, um, shaping the way that your users, your investors, your drivers kind of... um, Change their way of interacting with the company, or maybe even their perception
1: of it. Yeah, for me, it's always really been about the work. Put your head down and focus on the work, and um, and and everything else will fall into place. And so, I tried to put myself in Dara's shoes as he was walking into this company that was on the front cover of every newspaper around the world, sometimes every day, and and oftentimes with multiple stories about the company, um, you know, on that same front page. And so. I tried to put myself in his shoes um, to understand, to think about what he really needed from an executive who was there to, to serve him and to serve the company. And so, you know, I've, I've always been a very direct person. Um, I obviously knew a lot about how Uber worked and knew a lot about the business. And so I really just, proved, just felt like my role was to um, provide for education, as much counsel. Um, and as much advice, if he asked for it, um, as possible. And so, um, you know, when he when he got there, there was a lot for us to to work through. It was a, uh, as you said, pivotal moment for the company. I think within a few weeks we had lost our London license, and so we were on our way to um, to the UK to to start, um, you know, a roadshow talking to people about how we we got it, we understood we needed to operate the business differently, and that we were committed to doing so. And so it was, um, you know, those were really challenging times uh, for Uber. And I think when you're working with someone in that intensity, um, you know, there's just a a lot of trust that can be built, um, be built very quickly. And I'm just, I I love working for Dara. He's an extraordinary guy who's who's done an amazing job leading Uber through a a really, really interesting time.
0: I think as you said, the team environment is so essential in those moments and those transitions, assembling people who are gonna keep people on their toes, be very challenging, as you said, encouraging this kind of debate culture really keeps everyone at their best level and and represents your users in in a unique way where their voice might otherwise be heard in that room otherwise. Yes, yes. I'm interested as we wrap up our time together, I have a couple of other things I'm curious your perspective on. One that just came to mind is you have this really unique purview into the intersection of tech and communications and politics. And I feel like all of those three areas of expertise that you have have kind of really been flipped on their head, especially in 2021 or at least during this campaign during a pandemic this um you know the whole term of misinformation or what truth is or connecting with each other understanding people of different perspectives what advice might you have for for someone who's interested in making a difference in this space is there is there a way that regular people can get involved in creating this this sense of truth and community and um,
1: togetherness again yeah, absolutely. I mean, first and foremost, I think, um, I think uh, young people need need models, not critics, right? There's no right way to get involved in things. There's no one perfect and really complicated, uh, complex issues. Um, you know, for, for me, it's been interesting over the 10 years that I've been in the Valley or 11 years that I've been in the Valley to watch the transition um, that's happened, in, in particular, in my own in the discipline that I know most, uh, you know, that I know well, the public affairs. I think that as the media landscape has changed, the old school way of of doing PR, for example, um, of kind of you know, pitching uh, journalists and sending press releases and posting blog posts, that's all that's all changed a lot because there simply aren't as many um, outlets to go to, and so there's become real thought leaders in space in these spaces and i think it's opened up an opportunity for um for you know great communicators and effective storytellers to really become you know key counselors to um to chief executives and so you know for for me again it goes back to the to put your hand up um you know have a sense type of people that you want to surround yourself with and um, the type of debates that you want to have and um you know finding opportunities to insert yourself in them and and also being unafraid to to call it when it isn't working out in the in the way that you expect it. I think you know taking risks and um, and then recognizing when when they are not um, you know playing out in the way that you'd hope and making another move. I think is a is a really important um, life skill. And flexibility and adaptability are two of the most underrated attributes in terms of uh, of success.
0: So wise. I I would love to go back to my younger self and and give her that speech because nothing has been truer across my Me too. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. Absolutely true. So I'm curious, what keeps you motivated now? You've been at Uber for a while, you're consistently headhunted, I assume. All kinds of exciting opportunities that could be yours. What motivates you? What are you excited to learn or or dive into in this part of your career? And now that you've got this expertise, this sure ground under your foot, and you have choices open to you? What, um, what motivates you?
1: Yeah. Well, um, you know, about a year and a half ago or so at Uber, right. In addition to leading the public policy and communications and our our economic teams, I took on uh, marketing and that has been really interesting. It's, um, it's uh, allowed me a new discipline to learn. um, And, and so that has been exciting and challenging in a new way. And, and I went back and like some of my old friends at um, at Google who were responsible for the marketing organization at the time that I joined, and, and said to them, you know, help me, teach me, guide me. Um, you know, can I lean on you for support? And and they all delivered. And so I'm pretty fortunate to have had that that kind of network who I could who I could depend on. Um, so that's been been great. Like I said before, I love my team. I love the chief executive that that I support. Um, and so that's been really really fulfilling. Um, You know, I have I have three kids who are uh, four and under, and I want them to see their mama engaged in something that drives me and excites me and fulfills me outside of our home. I just think that's that's really important. And I'm so lucky that that I have that.
0: So inspiring. And thank you for that wisdom on continuing, continuing to build your tribe surround yourself with these sources of inspiration, people who understand you, who lift you up, and to continue to seek out mentors. That ne- that should never stop, if anything. Never stop. Never stop. I think some people are thoughtful about it in the beginning of their career, and then we just feel like, we're supposed to know all the answers, or it seems <laughs> everyone else knows what they're doing except for me, but leaning into that and seeking out those, those people, especially those who have a track record of, of really giving you good advice. Um, Absolutely. I needed to hear that. Thank you for that, yeah. Mm-hmm. That- So the last question I always um, end the podcast with is what gives you hope for the future? We're wrapping up a very year. We're entering one with a fresh start. I hope what currently gives you hope besides these three gorgeous kids that you've got. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Um, You know, it's Jade, but really them. I mean, children are just so pure and the way they see the world um, is, is so sweet and so innocent and, I'm an optimist by nature. I, right? um, you know, I, I was taught that by by our former former boss. And um, you know, one of the things that Eric always said was, was say yes um, and lean into new opportunities. And I think for me, um, you know, just the the great fundamental belief in in the collective wisdom of humanity and that, that fundamentally good. Um, and I think that there's a there's there are brighter days ahead.
0: I couldn't agree more. Jill, thank you for sharing your journey, your wisdom, your lessons learned along the way. I think this conversation is going to inspire a lot of people. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It was great to see you again. You too. Thank
0: you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Bet on Yourself podcast. If you're like me, you have a lot of new insights and ideas of things you want to implement from this episode. Don't worry if you were listening to this while walking the dog or putting a baby to sleep or driving and didn't have hands-free to take notes. We've done the hard work for you. Check out the show notes here in your podcast app or on my website, annhyatt.co, for additional resources. While you're there, you can also sign up for my newsletter, which always supplements these podcast themes with additional free resources. May I ask for a quick favor? Please click on that follow or subscribe button here in your podcast app so you don't miss an episode and give us a five-star rating. I'd love it if you'd also share this via your social media with your friends and tag me so that I can see what resonated with you, who you would like to hear on future episodes, and what topics are on your mind. We'll be back next week with even more content to support you in your big bets. I'll see you then.